I want to thank all of the families who have uh, volunteered to uh, do readings during our Advent lighting. We've got one more candle that's going to be lit this evening um, at our Christmas uh, candlelight service. So we're very excited. I've, I've heard some really good things. I heard rehearsal went really well yesterday. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't mean that tonight will not go well. Uh, I have a theater background, so usually if it's a really bad dress rehearsal, it's a really good opening night. So, uh, But I'm sure that everything is going to be fine. I hear that there's some beautiful music that's going to be played uh, by some very talented people in our uh, congregation. Very excited about that and want to invite you to uh, come out and experience that. We will also, for those of you at home, be live streaming uh, that service tonight so that you can experience that with us. Um, also want to continue making the announcement that we are looking for some uh, more people to uh, run tech uh, for our services, uh, lighting, or um, not lighting board, uh, soundboard, um, our, our computer, uh, our live stream, our camera, things like that. And I think uh, sometime after the first of the year, we're going to try to set up some sort of a training uh, to show people how to use the various components uh, so that you can feel comfortable kind of stepping into those positions. And we'll let you know about those things sometime after the first of the year. This morning, we're finishing a sermon series, and I've been using the lines from the Christmas song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Uh, just to kind of frame the events around the birth of Jesus, around some of the things that happened uh, right after his birth. And I'm also asking a, a very important question uh, of us, uh, of all of us, really. And that question is, what difference does it make? What difference did Jesus' birth make to the people that experienced his birth? And what difference does it make for us today? And this morning, our sermon is titled, Do You Know What I Know? And in the song, the lyrics go, uh, said the shepherd boy to the mighty king, do you know what I know in your palace warm, mighty king? A child, a child shivers in the cold, let us bring him silver and gold. And we're not exactly sure who this uh, king is supposed to be in the song, since it's the shepherd boy who's talking to the king. Most people think it's the, the, one of the kings that come then and, and bring Jesus gold and frankincense and myrrh, but we're not really sure. But I don't really want to focus on that part of the song anyway this morning. I want to just kind of talk about this uh, question. Do you know what I know? Have you ever known anybody Who's a know-it-all? <laughs> Anybody? Wendy is pointing to me. Um, a lot of us know people who are know-it-alls. Have you ever seen the movie The Polar Express? Anybody seen the, Mo the Polar Express? Remember the kid? Remember the one kid that, like, knew, basically knew it all? In the credits, he's actually called know-it-all. That's, that's his character's name in the movie, and he always comes up and he talks to people. Do you know what kind of train this is? Do you? Well, do you? Do you know where they came up with hot chocolate? You know, all of these things. And, and he just is this fountain of, of knowledge that nobody wants, right? Nobody's asking him anything. He's just unsolicited. He's going to come up and he's going to tell you all the things that he knows about all of the things. And... Uh, 
I just, I, I get such a kick out of that character because uh, at least one of the people in my family uh, happens to kind of, uh, or happened to kind of be that way. Um, I won't say who it was, uh, but uh, <laughs> the, de the, the definition of know-it-all, it's actually, uh, there's a dictionary definition of know-it-all is someone who believes they know everything and who rejects advice. And we could go further and say that a know-it-all just continually acts on their belief that they know everything, even if they don't, even if they're mistaken. They're just, they, boom, I know this to be a fact, and that's it. And usually, uh, that does not end very well for the know-it-all. But back in Jesus' day, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees might have been known as the know-it-alls. They believed they knew everything about God, everything God wanted, everything about how God wanted us to behave, how he wanted us to live, and they acted on that belief, and they taught others how to live based on that belief, even though, as we read in the Gospels, a lot of times they didn't get it completely right. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were students of Scripture. They had the law, they had the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. And they, and they had it memorized, backwards and forwards. They could tell you every word that is in the Old Testament. They knew all of the 600 and the... See, he knows. They knew all of the 613 laws of Moses. How many of you knew that there were 613 laws of Moses in the Old Testament? 613, and they knew all of them. They knew a lot, and they taught the people these things. And one of the people that they taught was a man by the name of Joseph. And we read about Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, and we first see him mentioned uh, in a genealogy of Jesus. And he is, he is one of the last names, right? And we read that his genealogy stretches all the way back to Abraham. And we read that he was descendant of the tribe of Judah. And the tribe of Judah was the tribe of King David. So Joseph comes from a royal Line. He comes from a place of being a devout Jew. And he learned all 613 of these laws as the scribes and the Pharisees had taught him. And we read about Joseph in Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So the first thing we learn is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is betrothed to Joseph, and some people think uh, today of, of a betrothal as, you know, being engaged, right? Joseph got down on one knee, and he went to Jared, and he had the ring, and he asked, you know, and everything, and it was so beautiful. Or if you're like me, your future wife laughed at you when you proposed. Um, it's a long story. We can tell you about it later, but... Uh, <laughs> 
Today we would say Mary and Joseph were, were engaged, but that really wasn't what was going on back in first century Jerusalem. Uh, betrothal wasn't just put a ring on the finger and plan a wedding. Betrothal was a formal part of the marriage process. It lasted for exactly 12 months. And during that 12 months, the couple was considered a couple. They were technically considered to be married, but they spent that first 12 months living apart. Now, we're not quite sure all of the reasons why they did that, but this was, it was, it was this formal time. And then after 12 months, the woman would join the man at his home and they would complete the marriage process. So betrothal in and of itself was a contract, just like marriage is, is a contract, a covenant. And Jewish law considered it to be equivalent to marriage. And the man would call the woman his wife as soon as they were betrothed. Breaking off a betrothal, though, was a very serious matter. It, it was akin to divorce. And you could only break off a betrothal through this public announcement of divorce. And we read about divorce and, and the process in the Old Testament. We don't have time to do that this morning, but there was a, there was a process by which people would divorce. And this is the situation that we see Joseph in in Matthew chapter 1. He is considering divorcing his wife. And the second thing we learn is he's considering divorcing his wife because he finds out that his wife is pregnant. Sometime along this 12-month period of betrothal where Mary lives apart and Joseph lives apart, she got pregnant. Joseph knows it's not his. He doesn't know whose it is. He doesn't know what happened. But the most logical conclusion is that at some point during the betrothal, she started to show. It was discovered that she was pregnant. And the marriage hadn't been consummated yet. They hadn't had relations for the first time. And, and I, would, I would have to imagine that Joseph was a little hurt, just a little hurt by this. But the passage in Matthew says that Joseph is a just man. He knows he's not the father. He knows the law of Moses concerning betrothal and divorce. He knows the shame that Mary's pregnancy would bring to his family, to his line. And he knows that if he divorces Mary publicly, at the very least, she would be shamed. And more than likely, she would be killed. Because the punishment for adultery in that time was to be stoned to death. And Joseph takes all of these things that he knows, all of the law that he knows, and he makes this decision, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I don't want people to know. There's a way that I can do this quietly that people don't have to know. I don't want to hurt her, but I also don't want to hurt my reputation. But the thing is, 
there are some things that Joseph doesn't know. Matthew 1, verses 20 to 21, but as he considered these things, as he considered putting away the, uh, the marriage quietly, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, what would you be thinking if you were Joseph? I, we dream, right? How many of you sometimes you remember your dreams? Yeah? Sometimes your dreams wake you up. I had a dream the other night. I thought the garage door was going up, and then I went and checked the garage door to make sure it wasn't going up, right? We have these dreams, and Joseph is asleep, and suddenly he's got this angel telling him all of these things. This angel just kind of pops up and says, Yo, Joe, don't worry. You can go on with the marriage. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. Get married, because the child that your wife is carrying was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that child will save his people from their sins. And that sounds a little bit out there to me. How many of you would have a dream like that and, and wake up and be like, what in the world was that? That, well, mm, I, I got to stop eating subs at night before I go to bed or something. But in Matthew 1, 24 to 25, we see the response. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph is now living this life where he has a child that's not his not his biological child. But as we read through the rest of Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, we discover that even though Joseph wasn't Jesus' father, Joseph was Jesus' dad. We see this in Matthew 2 after the visit from the wise men. We talked about the wise men a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Wise men from the east came from Jerusalem seeking the new king of the Jews, the current king of the Jews, sends them to find this new king and says, come back when you find him so I can worship him. Except that's not what he wanted to do at all, was it? Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, the wise men didn't come back. Do you know why? They were warned in a dream by an angel of the Lord not to go back to Herod. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. The wise men came, and they told him all of these things. They told him that they had seen this star, and that meant that there was a, a new king of the Jews. And sometime, 
in that two-year span is when this happened. And, and, and Herod knew that sometime in the past two years, this child had been born, and he wanted him dead. Because he was the king. There wasn't going to be a new king of the Jews. He was the king, and he had a whole lineup of sons ready to take his place when he died. No wonder he was furious. But God had some plans for Jesus, and they didn't include being killed by the current king of the Jews. And he shared those plans with someone in a dream. Joseph visited by the angel of the Lord again. Matthew 2, 13 to 14. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. You have to wonder if Joseph thinks it's getting to be a little ridiculous now. Another dream, another, another uh, message from the angel of the Lord. But he said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. So once again, we have the angel. Joseph, I know something you don't know. And I'm going to tell you what it is because you need to know it. You need to know that your child's life is in danger. You need to get him far away from here as quickly as possible. And Joseph, the husband, the father, the dad the protector of his little family did as he was told. He got up and he ran. Joseph didn't know it all. But Joseph knew that God was doing something through him for his family, for his wife, for his son, Jesus. And because he knew that Jesus would save his people from their sins, Joseph, somewhere at least in the back of his mind, knew that he was doing something for the entire human race by taking care of his family. Now, Joseph was told to go to Egypt. And if you look at a map uh, of the, the Middle East, as the crow flies, Egypt is about... 150 miles from Bethlehem. Now, depending on the terrain and, and whether they were able to take a direct route or not, they could have been walking for over 200 miles or about the distance between Morning Hour Chapel and Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. Just to give you a little bit of a reference point. 200 miles by foot with a young child under the age of two. How many of you have ever taken a road trip with a child under the age of two? It would have taken about 67 hours or so to travel 200 miles at, at a relaxed pace. So even traveling 12 hours a day, if they were able to do that, it would have taken them over a week to get from Bethlehem to Egypt. And that's if they just crossed the border into Egypt. But then they had to actually find a town, find a place to live. So Joseph escaped in the middle of the night. No warning. Didn't have a whole lot of time to pack. Didn't have a whole lot of time to plan. 
walking over 200 miles with a young wife who had just given birth not that long ago and an under two-year-old child and not a Chick-fil-A in sight for over a week. And he finally gets to Egypt and then he has to figure out, well, where are we going to live? Where am I going to work? What am I going to do? How am I going to support this family of mine? But you know what? I don't think Jesus or I don't think Joseph had to worry about that too much because I think Joseph continued trusting God. I think Joseph realized this is what I'm supposed to do. God's going to help me to do it. All my job is is to take care of this family. Men, how many times have you forgotten that really, all you need to do is take care of your family. Women, all you need to do is take care of your family. God will help us do that and everything else. Really, all we need to do is listen for God's voice. Listen for God to tell us what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Joseph didn't know everything and neither do we how many uh, how many of you know everything just me okay that's fine um, but we don't know everything sometimes we know what we're going to be doing next week maybe even next month if we're like good planners sometimes we don't know what we're going to be doing when we walk out that door in the next 10 or 15 minutes but God does. God's going to show us what we are supposed to be doing as long as we listen and obey his voice. We don't know how long Joseph stayed in Egypt. According to historians, it could have been anywhere from a couple of months to as many as five years. We only know that God communicated with Joseph again in Matthew 2, 19 to 21. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. A third dream, a third instruction, and the most important thing, a third obedience. Because in our lives, things are going to change. In our lives, things are going to go differently than what we think they're going to be. Anybody ever experienced that before? Just me? Okay. Things are going to change. And God's going to tell us what to do next. If we listen and if we obey. What difference did the arrival of Jesus make on Joseph? It turned his entire world upside down. He was ready to get married and, and have his business, his carpentry business in Nazareth. And all of a sudden, everything changed. God worked through Joseph, God worked through his obedience so that Jesus, the child, 
would not be harmed. And it was hard. It challenged him. It challenged Joseph to trust God. It also challenged him because God didn't tell him everything he needed to know all at once. Three dreams. Get up and run. Right? Was the second dream. Not get up and run and you're going to be coming back in 14 months and then you're going to go here and you're going to go there. Just go. You will receive further instructions as you need them. How many of us want to know everything that God has for us for the rest of our lives? Just me? Okay. No, I see some hands. We do. We want to know, God, what, are, what, God, what am I going to do for my job? What am I going to do when I retire? What am I going to do with this and that and everything else? You don't need to know. That's what God says. You don't need to know all of those things, Mr. or Ms. Know-it-all. Just know that I am going to speak into your life. And when I do, all you have to do is be ready to obey. Be ready to do the things that I ask you to do because when you do those things, your life is going to be incredible. It might not be what you thought it would be, but it's going to be the best life that you will ever have because I'm in charge of it. Because you're obeying my commands and you are waiting on me. That's the difference that Jesus' birth should make in us when we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. We ought to be willing to wait. We ought to be willing to listen and to obey. That's the difference. Are we willing to allow God that kind of control over our lives? Are we willing to let God challenge what we think we know? And are we willing to let God replace what we think we know with the truth? God's absolute truth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you placed him into a family that was obedient to you. We thank you that Mary said, let it be as you have said. We thank you that Joseph, without even a word, just awoke from his dreams and did exactly what you told him to do, time and time again. Father, we are afraid we're afraid to let loose of the control that we think we have over our lives. Help us. Help us to let go. Help us to listen for your voice. To obey you each step of the way. And help us to not need 
to know everything except what you want us to know. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. In Psalm 119, we read a verse that says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. One of the things that we don't really think about is that sometimes God is going to light our feet, meaning we're only going to be able to see a step at a time. This week, I want to encourage you. In 2022, I want to encourage you. Listen for God's voice and trust even if he only shows you a single step at a time. God bless you. Hope to see you tonight.